This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, January 24th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined as usual by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And uh, news today, Harry Heastand is officially Notre Dame's offensive line coach, which we've known for a couple of weeks. And I'm not sure when this is going to run exactly, but we expect Chancey Stuckey also to be official. And Notre Dame continues its pursuit of a defensive coordinator and running running backs coach. We'll talk about that in a minute, but guys, I wanted to jump into, we had an opportunity to talk. How many guys we talked to Friday, 14. Yeah. Uh, I think it was supposed to be 15. We ended up talking to 14. I just wanted to jump into uh, um, the guys that you interviewed, Tim and Tim and I split up ours on our behalf and, and Pete had to roam from, from, for everybody. I definitely did not get all 14. I'm sure you didn't with <laughs> Matt, Matt Fortuna. I'm sure pitching in there, yeah. but you couldn't quite get to all of them, but uh, Tim, let's start with you. Just a player or two that you spoke with um, that you enjoyed and thought had something meaningful to say. And we should uh, go ahead and preface this by letting all our subscribers and listeners know that these are veterans. So you're not going to hear stories about freshmen. Yeah, these were all guys that chose to, that they either transferred or all guys that chose to come back uh, for the 2022 season. So Thank I you. I enjoyed talking to Josh Lug because um, none of the players could comment on their new position coach, even the ones that have been hired. And uh, while doing so, I don't think I'm selling Josh Lug out for this one. He said, I cannot comment on the new hire. And he just talked to us for the next uh, 30 seconds with two thumbs raised in the air, smiling while he was talking about his future on the offensive line. And I thought that was, that was a nice touch by a, by a veteran. And uh, he's like, then, of course, I asked Lug about playing guard. I mean, I talked about, about Blake Fisher and then the obvious that there's some competition at the position you came back at. And, he's, and he, all he did was praise Blake Fisher. He said what Fisher did in the Fiesta Bowl is so far beyond what anybody is even crediting him for. And I, wow. thought the, I thought the insight was great. He said, you don't understand how much more tired you are in a game if you have to do 70 pass drops as an offensive tackle as opposed to running the ball. That's why they all love running the ball as the game goes okay. on. Then I, then I was wrong about that. I said the opposite of that. I, maybe it physical exertion, I think was the yeah. word I used as a run blocker. Uh, but if an offensive lineman says that I had a couple people tell me I was wrong. So I guess I was wrong. He actually prefaced it by asking me if I ever played offensive line. And he was serious. I was like, no, I, <laughs> actually, but I really appreciate the fact that you asked me that question. And he's like, well, I got to tell you pass. And he talked about pass blocking and he said, it's amazing. Blake Fisher could do it. Remember he switched sides to do it. And then he made it. Yeah. I thought he just, he was so truthful. He's like, look, Blake Fisher was a freshman who got hurt in the first game. There's no way he should have been engaged for three months in meetings and in training because they tell you you're not going to play the rest of this year. And yet somehow all of a sudden he had to play and there he was completely engaged. So I do believe we're going to see Josh Lug working at right guard with Blake Fisher at tackle. Yeah. yeah but he's, it was, a, it was a great interview. And uh, the freshman tidbit um, that Jaden Mickey is ridiculously fast for Josh Lug. People will, that'll, that'll be whatever he takes from the podcast today is that Jaden Mickey is really that fast. That is SWAT team or something? Yeah, SWAT team. Yeah. Okay. It's a SWAT team assigned freshman. I was trying to figure out how a 27-year-old offensive yeah. lineman would know how fast a 17-year-old <laughs> SWAT team leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pete, go ahead. I talked I talked to Patterson. Fisher, Fisher also came up on, on that, just like how, essentially how impressive the, the performance was, like, you might want to amend what O'Malley said. Like, I don't know if there is going to be competition at offensive tackle. Like oh, Blake Fisher is just that good, of, you know, <laughs> just being kind of Josh Lug. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Lugs, I think would definitely see the writing on the wall there. And, and understandably. So I talked to Foskey for a while who O'Malley and I is one of our favorite interviews um, just because he's like, 
you're talking to an just a fun-loving college kid who happens to be six foot five, two hundred fifty-five pounds and ripped. Um, and then I spent some time with Brain Lindsay, who I think is kind of a off the charts self-awareness kid at this point in his college yeah. career, which is I think makes for an enjoyable conversation. Um, you know, he talked, you know, he had talked about coming back for um a master's program and then was like, you know, this whole non-degree seeking thing sounds pretty good. Uh, he said he played last year with two bad shoulders. Um, thought the Fiesta Bowl was a little bit uh I don't he didn't use the word humbling, but I think that's sort of what he meant about like, you know, you want to play all these snaps and like I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And then you're like, okay, here's 85 snaps. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, you know, I just didn't really have anybody else. So that was I think revealing for him, you know, where he needs to go with this game. And then DJ Brown, who I think maybe we've only talked to twice ever. Um, yeah, very briefly the first time. I think too. that was the, th- I think that was the third time. Cause I third, I know I he came so. in during the season. I don't remember the last, if the, okay. there certainly could have been a spring practice or something, but um male and I were there for this. And I had sort of gone down the path of how winter workouts are a little bit different. And a lot of players talked about how the assistants are more present. And that's like a Marcus Freeman, um initiative there and i was like well it's you know it's brian kelly do you come to winter workouts and the look on his face was just like <laughs> i mean it was almost like me when lug said to o'malley have you played offensive line before <laughs> and it's like no you know we knew brian kelly would come to the first workout and then you wouldn't see him again um and you know for the older guys the coaches at workouts probably is not that big of a deal for the younger guys I think it is helpful um, because you get to know your coach on a different level uh, and you're, I think, a little bit more dialed in at that point, too, or you kind of have an ally in the weight room because Matt Bayless isn't there to be your buddy necessarily. So it was good. I mean, they got a lot out of it. Um, So it was it was it was a welcome change from usually what we have in late January or February, which is. Typically nothing. nothing. Right. (laughs) There's I I mean, yeah, we were all caught by surprise when we saw we were going to have an opportunity to to interview 14 or 15 guys. Uh, I, I, I spoke with the two transfers, Brandon Joseph, uh, the safety from Northwestern and Blake groupie is how it's pronounced. The kicker from Arkansas state, who is the smallest say, player in a Notre Dame uniform that I will ever see in my life. How did he compare to Foskey? So in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is, he is five, a one forty five, and his, you look at his numbers, you can, his range is not great. Uh, so, you know, and, and that was kind of the issue with Josh Bryan or the projected issue with Josh Bryan. So I don't know. I don't, you, I don't think you're going to see Nordium lining up for too many 52 yard field goals this year. He kind of got spoiled with that with, with Jonathan door, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed Brandon Joseph, exactly the kind of kid that you would expect coming from Northwestern. And I, and he made a couple statements along the way where I thought, I immediately thought, when I put that in print, when I type that, it's going to be interpreted as him sounding like the cockiest guy in the world. And he doesn't, he doesn't come off that way at all. It's just very matter of fact. He's con- he can, he said, Kyle Hamilton and I have known each other for a while as two of the best safeties in the country. Uh, you know, I mean, he does not hesitate saying that and there's nothing wrong with cockiness, but it, it is totally in his case, it's just selfish assuredness. And he believes he's going to be that good. Um, Groupie's story is interesting, and he's got a whole bunch of relatives from Indiana. Uh, his mother went to St. Joe College, Rensselaer, Indiana. Um, 
He's got an aunt that played at Ball State. My point being that he has relatives all over Indiana, but when he came to Notre Dame after already accepting a scholarship offer, it was the first time he'd ever been to South Bend. So he's living with Milk Vinson and and Brandon Joseph. Vinson is always enjoyable to spend time with. Mm. He's in the process of working out an ideal with the Dairy Association of Indiana, I swear to God. Uh, did you? Do we already know that? Or did, I, was, yeah, I, was, he, I was with he you. Had tweet, that, yeah. He okay. had tweeted that out, I think, last, uh, you know, at the end of last season or something. So okay. there was something in the works. It's cool that that is continuing. He's still, he is such a, he is still so, you know, he's very humble considering where he came from and he's on scholarship and everybody knows his name and everybody knows his nickname, which is, Pretty amazing for a guy in that spot. Spoke with the Adam Alolas, both very inspired to be back here. And I did speak with Lindsay, and I have to say that in, in terms of what was the term you used, Pete? Like self-awareness. Self-aware. I'm just going to say time out on that because I can remember talking to him for the first time that we ever had oh, a chance now. to talk to him. I'm and saying he was, he's grown into it. Okay. I, I you know, I, I just... He needs to be a better, stronger, more consistent football player, especially now considering their wide receiver situation. But yeah. gr- glad that he's back for Notre Dame's sake because they they need receivers. Uh, it was I thought it was interesting that Jarrett Patterson talked about, you know, preseason. Pete, you were there, I think, when he said this at uh, preseason. He was convinced he was leaving. Yeah. When the season came to a close, of course, there was no promise of of working for Harry, he stand at that point either. So yeah, uh, I'm sure yeah. that that played a role, but let's, uh, let's jump back into Harry. He stand is now official. Chancey Stuckey is now official. Uh, I think we've kind of, uh, we've discussed those two guys in recent podcasts, but the defensive coordinator position uh, will likely go to one of four people as, as first reported by Tom Loy of 24 seven sports, L golden, of the Cincinnati Bengals, Doug Belk of the Houston Cougars, Tim Lakabu from Boston College, and Joe Rossi from Minnesota. Your thoughts on on those guys uh, with the knowledge that it appears that, uh, at least based upon what we know at this point, if there's a lean, it's definitely to Al Golden. I I mean, when I reported that out uh, last week, I think I had seven names. Um, I mean, Golden probably would have been seventh for me because he's not an active college defensive coordinator. Um, but I will 100% take my own advice from the last podcast that if there's something that we know the least about, it's how Sapphires fit together. Um, so, I mean, Al Golden knows his stuff as a defensive coach. Um, and I would say, and like how he failed as Miami's head coach really has no impact on how I view him. I realized fans sort of look at the opposite way. Yeah. Like if you were, if you were a failed head coach, then why would you want to hire this person as a, an assistant? I, that's pretty irrelevant to me, but like how he fits into Marcus Freeman's system, how he communicates with college football players in 2022, how he recruits. I, I don't really have great answers for you on that one. You guys remember my number one criteria for the defensive side of the ball for Steph filling out the staff? Was it experience? One person that can that has the experience in this mm-hmm. sport to be able to tell Marcus Freeman something where he needs to be told that. And, and because I want to go back to what Pete said, I don't know enough about the rest of it, of staff hirings. I do know you need somebody that knows a little bit more than the others. <laughs> you just have to have some sage advice from someone. And I think Al Golden would, would fit that bill. And speaking of, 
failure as a head coach at Miami, um, you might want to look at Al Golden's tapes prior to this Sunday because no one's going to like Al Golden defensive coordinator when he goes against Patrick Mahomes. So do not place that on Al Golden going into uh, <laughs> next football season. Because, yep, if they played Mahomes, it would look like that every week. So that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, I look, I try to be very open-minded about these things and go into it realizing that I have a speck of knowledge about these guys compared to the people that are interviewing them. Uh, I love the fact that he has been a head coach. He he did have a winning record, I believe, four or five years in Miami at a time when they were struggling. He followed Randy Shannon, so it was a difficult job at that point. But, you know, I, I think the other factor is, well, he hasn't been a defensive coordinator for how many years? But He's been in the NFL. It's not, it's not like he's not, he's not sipping my ties. Like Brian Kelly said that he would be doing at this stage of, of his career. He's a, he's an active football coach and who is privy to the most cutting edge defenses known to man in the NFL. And I know, I know that he's I, having studied this a little bit. I know that he's done, he's used a, a, a wide variety of different looks and fronts uh, and, and I think by and large, his look up front is comparable to what Marcus Freeman wants. So that's a good connection. He's he was a great recruiter during his college years. OK, he has not been recruiting, but you don't just. I mean, L. Golden, the personality is L. Golden, the personality He's not going to lose that just because for a few years he's been in the NFL and he hasn't had to recruit like you can in college. So I'm completely open minded about it. Um, he has a background in coaching on offense and defense, which I think is a great thing too. Doug Belk is very young. Ukabu, some people have said, you know, it's Halfley's defense at Boston College, and I get that because Ukabu is is an inexperienced defensive coordinator himself, and then Joe Rossi from Minnesota. It looks like it's trending toward El Golden. I don't understand just the throwing of the hands in the air and saying that's a bad decision. Um, I think that there's a lot of information out there that tells you this might be a pretty good decision for, uh, for Marcus Freeman, especially that with the ability to bounce ideas off of him as a former head coach and defensive coordinator. Yeah, it's I, I love the experience point that O'Malley made. I think that was sort of high on the list, too. It's and it, it's not just the experience point. O'Malley made an even better point. It's just like you need somebody to tell the head coach no. Uh, in some instances where, and I don't, I don't know who has the chops on the defensive side to do that. Um, but somebody like Al Golden would, whereas if you're a first or second year defensive coordinator, or, or even if you're sort of in the, the Rossi career arc, where a little bit on the younger side, I'm not, I'm not sure that you would necessarily be able to do that naturally. Yeah, true. I think maybe, you know, the relationship between Freeman and Al Washington might allow it for Washington, although he's comparable in age, but I know exactly what you're saying. I do. I mean, I agree with both of you. I think that it's important that you have an older guy because it is such a, a younger staff. And when I say yeah. older guy, he's only 52. You know, I you know people were, were barking about uh, Harry Heastan being 63, but I have no doubt. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I don't have any doubt that Harry Heastan is going to have the energy that he needs to be the guy that he is as an offensive line coach and L golden as well. Uh, uh, you know, so I, we don't know for sure that he's going to be the head coach or a uh, defensive coordinator, but uh, we will be finding out shortly with a, with a junior day coming up. Uh, we can talk more about that, not having all the assistants in, in lined up for when, when that occurs I think that's a little bit overrated as well, but I have a tendency 
sometimes to look at the opposite of what the masses are, are, are clamoring about. So maybe it's a little bit contrary in there, but we will be back. Uh, segment two, burning up the boards, taking questions from our readers. Thank you for listening to the Irish illustrated insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Burning up the board, segment two. We start with a question from Roshaman18. Why is it taking so long to officially name all of these assistant coaches? It's... I mean, the flippant remark is George O'Leary, right? Like that's Notre Dame has always been incredibly deliberate in its hiring processes. Um, you know, the de- but the defensive coordinator hire is certainly different. Um, that's a figuring out who you want to hire position. Um, and so that I think is taking longer than maybe people outside the program would have thought. Uh, but I know talking to people who are very aware of Marcus Freeman's thinking on this, that he was always going to be very exacting with this hire and did not want to compromise one bit uh, about who he hired, which, you know, I can respect that hiring process is his first time going through it. Um, But that just means it's taking a little bit longer than maybe some fans would like. I I agree with that. uh, That take and that tactic by Freeman, I think maybe fans are upset that he stand and Stucky, couldn't be named. They're wondering why Notre Dame drags its feet when you could get those guys in. I mean, it's, that's just the way it, it's not going to change. It's, it's not that no. Notre Dame's. Well, they have, they have been going to be vetting and that's just the way it is. It's yeah, huge. they have. And, and we don't, we don't do we, do, do we follow the, the hiring processes of process of I, I other schools? Dame, I, I would assume Notre Dame takes longer. Um, I, I would assume definitely so takes longer. Well, yeah. they do. And, and they would have a defensive coordinator if John Haycock hadn't turned it down. So I, I think being deliberate with this is the right way to, I mean, certainly with a defensive coordinator, it's the, it's the right way to go. There's no hurry other than being on the road recruiting. And, and again, I think that that's overplayed because you're just, you're on the road recruiting and you have coaches coming in and out of, of high schools. I mean, the, the player doesn't know who's who per se that's visiting. I just know that Notre Dame's visiting. So I, I just think that that's overplayed a little bit. The other thing that I found amazing on Saturday, I thought about it, it's like the Fiesta Bowl was only three weeks ago. Doesn't it seem like that was, it's been 20. Right. I kind of want to fact check that, even though I'm looking at my calendar. I know that's January I, I, 24th. I said it to somebody like, am I looking at this? I have to be looking at this correctly. It's January. Today's the 24th. It's been 23 days since oh they God. played the bowl game. And it just seems like it's longer than that. So my point being that, you know, they ended up having five uh, staffers to be replaced. Lance Taylor was a a, a late change, and yeah. so they're you know they've only been seeking a running backs coach for a, a short period of time. But I get it; everybody wants them all in place. But I would bet that if you went across the country and looked at the top teams in the country from this past year, that they have openings on their staff too. So I think it's overplayed a little bit, but I understand the impatience. Um, you know, when you want to get it, you want to get a defensive coordinator on board and 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 move forward. But the the Haycock decision is what what interrupted interrupted that process. Right? But I do think that it's it's right for Marcus Freeman to be taking his time and get it right. And it, 
he's at the right university for that because they will take their time to make sure that everything is uh, everything's in order. Hopefully he has some. Uh, hey, uh, could you check out these four guys and start vetting them all, please? Thank you, because I'd like to get someone hired in, in here right away. When I when I made my decision, I'd like it to happen before the spring. So, yeah, it, it should. I would think coming into probably first of I would I would think by end of the month, right? I would say like next next recruiting weekend is significant. Yeah, that that's the moment where I'd be like, all right, you a little more urgency would be necessary if you go that long. I don't think that it will take that long and really at that point it's you need to have the decision made opposed to announce because i don't think that you have to be officially hired to just sort of like be around yeah, you do sure. have to be officially hired to go on the road recruiting i'm not sure al golden's going to be uh making a beeline to that would South be a different Bend one if they upset kansas city for that monday that would be a different story right there no, right 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 ellie i oh sorry tim LA Iris 321, were you and Notre Dame wrong about Phil Dracovic? Would he have been as good as Jack Cohn? I think mm. I think Dracovic uh, would be better than Jack Cohn at Notre Dame because of the uh, – he was trending that way after his first year playing for BC. Now, he had good receiver in Zay Flowers and, and a few weapons, but he he carried that BC offense to be a much better offense than it was. I don't a lot, a lot of Phil Dracovic's uh, end of the season stat. Like this year's a weird wash. If you get hurt early and you try to come back with the yeah, I, don't look at what he he had some rough games there when he came back. But I I think Phil Dracovic had to leave to be Phil Dracovic. Um, it's also hurts Notre Dame that he did. They had to get Jack Cohn because they lost Phil Dracovic. They wouldn't have had Jack Cohn if Phil Dracovic decided I'm going to stay. And it might have worked out. I mean, it was, you know, there was more friction with Chip Long than Tommy Reese, but I think if, I think he had to leave to be Phil Dracovic. And unfortunately, he's come back for a fifth year where he will probably really be Phil Dracovic in uh, in November. And he's he's one of the better quarterbacks they'll face. I don't think, I think people live and die by him way too much. It's it's just, it's not like Phil Dracovic was ever going to take Ian Book's job. I I feel like, yeah, well, not, no, not while Ian Book was at Notre Dame. I, I feel like there are people that cheer against Phil Dracovic. And I, and I just, I don't understand that. I mean, I will, I will, I've said it before. I mean, I think Nordheim screwed that up. I don't think Phil Dracovic gave himself, did himself any favors no, I don't by the so. way he handled tough coaching, but Nordheim screwed it up and they would be in a much better situation with, I think Phil Dracovic, you know, I realize that he's kind of been up and down in his first, certainly was in his first year. And then as you say, Timmy he was compromised in, in his second year coming off of significant injury. But I think he's progressing really, really well. Um, you know, he's not with one of the better teams in, in the ACC per se, so that that makes the progress a little bit more difficult. But you know, his athleticism uh, once he stopped thinking about his throwing mechanics, which was a huge issue while he was at Notre Dame. He's admitted that Tim to too. Like, uh, if you just if anyone were to Google a Phil Dracovic discussing leaving Notre Dame, he talks about how he was so far into his head, and he does. I mean, he does kind of blame the staff, but he's saying I couldn't throw a ball. I came to a point where I couldn't throw a ball. So it's not like we were making Edward was making this stuff up. He just looked no. Awful well, he did. He did, and that's why I say it's both. It's yeah. a coaching staff's fault if you don't help him get through the tough times, and and. You know, I, I just, in retrospect, I mean, the tough times were exacerbated by the way he was coached by the offensive coordinator. It's, it's as simple as that. Sure. I agree. I think he had to leave to be what he is now. Um, 
I would disagree a little bit with Priester. Just, just like I think he handled tough coaching correctly by leaving. Um, you know, because that I think the, the I mean, well, while, while the he well had sort of been Notre poisoned. Day. Like, yeah, no, I agree. Well, I agree. You know, it's like for him to have a spring game like he did is that's that like that should never happen. No, um, it wouldn't happen to an early enrollee freshman normally. No, um, but. You know, it's it's this hypothetical. Would you rat? Like, I have no idea. Like, would Jack Cohn be have been better than Phil Jakovic last year, who then hurt his hand and couldn't play? Like, I, I don't know. Like, are we including that hypothetical wrinkle in this? I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I but think like, we're. I mean, I, as a I pro prospect, like, who will get drafted higher, Phil Jakovic? Right. I, I think so. I think the upside, the, the mobility is just so significant. It with is him. huge. In this Having sport. watched two quarterbacks run around the, the field late last night because right. of that great mobility. That is such a, that's such a, a huge difference maker for a guy, especially for a guy that size. I'll be, I want to be fair to Jack Cohn because as a, I mean, I probably went a whole year by talking about how he <laughs> was. Jack Cohn had Ian books offensive line. He would have not had that bad first month. He would, we would not be, there would not be Jack Cohn jokes about how immobile he is. Cause you never would have known how immobile he was. He would have stood there for three seconds and deliver passes right. all day long. Um, <laughs> it was a bad match that first month with Jack. It might've been a bad match all, all year with Jack Cohn in the line because he still was compromised a little bit. He still had to be the guy that got rid of the ball right away or a good defense would stop him. Yeah. And they started playing bad defenses and it got really easy for him. Martin Evenflow, should Tommy Reese miss on all the top quarterback targets in 2023? Is it fair to criticize his recruiting skills of the position? Clark, Pine, Buckner, and Angeli as a collective doesn't move the needle. Uh, <clears throat> sure. I mean, as a collective, I, I, I get that. I, uh, Tyler Buckner, the signing of Tyler Buckner would have been, I mean, he would have got he would have been ripped apart. Notre Dame would have been ripped apart. Had they not gotten Tyler Butner, they got him. He is now going to ascend to the starting role in his second year in a program with three years of eligibility left. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get, it's hard to get at least a Notre Dame hard to get a, a, a couple four to five star quarterbacks at the same time. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it's fair to, to, to critique, but, you know, only one guy, generally speaking, is a starter. And let's see if Tyler Buckner can be the guy that emerges as as a real steadying uh, factor and influence at the quarterback position. Yes, um, and I think it's even if you could eliminate should, like the first sentence, I think it's this is this is a point that's fair for criticism because I mean, what Tim said is is the reason why. Let's see if Tyler Buckner is right. Like that's that's a difficult position for Notre Dame to be in. Like. We're we're just going to hope that this guy is ready to go. I think I think that he will be quite good. But on this list of quarterbacks, there needed to be another Tyler Buckner in that and that yeah. list of four quarterbacks, and that and there's not. Yeah. Now that does that that spans how many recruiting cycles? Four. Yeah, and it come it yeah. it does come from. I mean, Buckner signed pretty early, which scares off the next, which can I shouldn't say does, which can. Yeah, it does. It doesn't everywhere. Yeah, um, right. it does sometimes scare off the next guy. Uh, they, if you if you add Dracovic to this, because Dracovic could be their quarterback right now with Buckner as the backup, nobody would be worried about Notre Dame's quarterbacking of now. The I mean, they were they they were going to take Walker Howard, and it it sort of fell apart at the end, and he stuck with LSU. But like that that would change a 
ton about how we perceive the future of Notre Dame's quarterback position. Right. It's fair to say uh, the three guys kind of bookending Buckner, one of them should have been a more highly thought of recruit. Right. The Clark Pine and Jelly thing. Like that's, you got to get one more in there. Getting Clark and Pine back to back, I know was probably part of the Buckner situation because he was kind of, he was kind of already there, but that's, that's tough at Notre Dame and Clark and Pine are your back to back quarterbacks. That's, that's, yeah, that's, 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 not, that's not, that's not where Notre Dame needs to be at that position. I agree. I don't think any of us can disagree with that question from Kay Beasley with the spring semester underway. Is it safe to assume we won't hear of any transfer portal additions until after spring ball? No, I mean, I think it, you're, you're open for business at all times with that. So, I mean, it could be tomorrow, could be next week, could be next month. I mean, we've talked about what Nick McLeod announced in, May that he was coming to Notre Dame. I think Alohi Gilman might, I can't remember when Alohi Gilman's was. I thought it was almost like in the summer or late spring, but it was less, it was less important then because he never thought of it was playing. Yeah. But the, yeah, the question it, is whether the additions will now come after spring ball. McLeod came after spring ball. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just, if the, I guess it, all right, maybe I misinterpreted the question. If the question is like, would they be on the roster for spring ball? I think the answer is no. Because is that kind of what yeah. this person? Well, yeah. The at? point being that the semester has started, so you're not going Got to it. get a guy okay. come in and start school. And yeah. so I get that, but I, I think plenty that... of spring transfers though. Just like there'll be transfers out too. Yeah, you find out your fourth string instead of third string. You you transfer out. Right. There's there's, right. there's at least two more spring transfers coming because that's and I'm saying that number because it's annual. I'm not I'm not pointing at two guys. Right. A lot of the obvious guys have transferred out, but I can name every spring someone transfers out. Yeah. It's going to happen when you get buried. You have a frank discussion with your position coach. You have an awful day when it's snowing and you're fourth string and you decide I don't want to be here anymore. And that's that's coming. And someone somewhere else is going to have an opportunity to come to Notre Dame. And they're going to say at the end of this semester, I'll announce my trans. I'll be coming to the University of Notre Dame. And then you're just not there yeah. for spring ball. Yeah, I think it's more of a timing issue with the question here. And, and you know, so we'll. You know, will we hear about a, a, a grad or a transfer? I keep saying grad transfer because it's always just been grad transfer um, and it can be both, of course. But, you know, will we hear like in April when a guy is still finishing the semester at another school? Some, you know, it could be something along those lines. Notre Dame is not done. They are not done in the in the grad oh. transfer transfer portal by any means. Uh, there's work to be done at receiver uh, in the secondary they're not done, but to answer the question, yeah, the timing may be pushed back a little bit now that the semester has begun. Wash ND with the return of Josh Lug, what will the starting offensive line look like left to right at the start of spring practice? So this has nothing to do with August camp necessarily. It'll be uh, it'll be Alt, Christophic, Patterson, Lug, and Fisher. Great. Yeah. I, that's right. of, I would bet an incredible amount of money that that's what it would be. I well, just it won't be lug. It won't. It won't be lug because he's injured. Oh well, that's. Oh okay. It'll be Spindler. It'll be Spindler. My apologies. But yeah. I shouldn't bet and, that money. Is what you're saying? Then I shouldn't bet that money since he won't be out. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> but, I, and uh, I think you know I think that there's an opportunity, especially with Harry Heastan coming back. I think we talked about this on previous podcasts that there is precedent of him playing more than one player at a position. He did it with Hainsey. Um. So, you know, I mean, I, I I think that there's that possibility at right guard, but I would expect Lug to be the starter come this fall. I, there's just too much experience and 
size for him not to be. I, the other question is left and right tackle, and I'm being told that Alt's staying at left tackle. You've been you've been told that for months too, and it hasn't changed. Like multiple times, you've been told this. So. Yeah, and yeah. and there's been other information that's filtered that stresses that. And I don't. Again, that's a. I do. I think personally, I think the best true pass blocking left tackle on the roster is Fisher, but I don't think it's enough to to panic about if it's Alt on the left side and Fisher on the right side. No, Ronnie Stanley started his career on the right side. Mike McGlinchey started his career on the right side. If Notre Dame had a good player on their team, Zach Martin would have started his career on the right side, but yeah. he was the only guy to do it. So I think, yeah, that's, that is the least of all concerns of Notre Dame fans this off season is the Alt Fisher alignment. It is. It should be the least of. I got some real. I can show you some alignment matters that issue on the other side of the ball. Let's see who lines up opposite yeah. Cam Hart. Because right. I know what the state noticed. Right, Pete. What's your uh, What's your info tell you on left, right, Alt Fisher? I nothing different okay. than what you've heard. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've I've heard anything contrary to what you've been told. And this yeah. is a time to bring this up because uh, of Josh Lug. I asked Josh Lug how his back was because of the injury just kind of talking to him, he goes, I have never in my life ever struggled with a back injury. I got hit before the North Carolina game, and my back got hurt by a 300-pound lineman that smashed me in practice. Your back would hurt for a couple weeks, too. He was definitive about it. He said, I have never had a back problem. My back has been 100% fine since the offseason of that year. My problem is I hurt my knee. So that's, that's, he was like, yeah. I, I, I was surprised too. I was like, did lo- the losing the weight help? He's like, look, I don't, you know, I didn't have a back problem. I need to lose he the thought, weight to be a better player, but I didn't have a back problem. Yeah. But he thought at the time that that was the rough. And I think that was because he, he probably was too heavy. Yeah. But I want that out yes. there for when we're saying, is he going to make it through the season? Does he need help with his back? Apparently. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a good point. I've said that in the past. Like you're going to need two guys if Josh Lug has a back problem, but apparently it's just going to be one-on-one Josh Lug versus we believe Rocco Spindler at right guard. Right. Question from go Iris three, five Oh nine. Have you heard whether the media will have more or less access than you had under the Brian Kelly regime? How do you anticipate spring practice will change if at all? I don't know, but I mean, we had this access just on Friday to 14 players, which we've never had before. Um, I was, I was certainly, or I am hopeful, optimistic that, the access will be improved from where it was under Brian Kelly. I understand that Marcus Freeman played for Jim Trestle, which was not, you know, super media, everything open all the time. But um, I, I think Marcus Freeman is very modern in, and how he views media access to the program and the players and their stories and how it's essentially can be PR for Notre Dame. So I think it will be pretty good. Uh, I, I think it will be improved slightly. I don't think it's going to be like the sea change, but I think it will be better. Priester and I got an indication that we'll have more of these type of days we just had, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, we're going to, Pete, we're going to have some, uh, I don't know the timing, but probably before the start of spring practice, we're going to have right. additional Fridays, too. if you heard that. Yeah. And, that and I think we're... during, I think they might do that during spring practice instead of like talk to four players after Monday's practice, then wait a week and talk to four players. Why not just say Friday? Talk to these 10 players. Yeah. You know, I think it's easier for them to, to do media once a week or once every eight, nine days in the spring. You know, spring's weird because 
they could, they're not out there that much. And Brian, I do think they're going to change a little. And Brian Kelly started to drag spring for like 58 days. Remember that would just go on oh forever gosh, with yeah. the breaks in between. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to, there, there's something weird about the calendar this year. Like Easter's the 17th. I don't think you can do the blue gold game the week after Easter because you're going into finals the next week. Like, I feel like it's going to be accelerated to April 9th pace. Oh, wow. Oh, I think the opposite's true. Um, <laughs> gonna, I had heard that spring, spring practice won't start until after spring break. Um, unless you mean accelerated, they're going to get 15 practices in, in three weeks. Well, that would be too fast. But I, I didn't when, I didn't when's spring break get that close. When is spring break? Do you guys mm, know? I do not I, have the Notre Dame calendar up. I have that. Uh, I could pull up in a second. I just know that uh, reading, like exam reading days, start on the 28th or 29th of April, which I don't know if they want to practice. Do you go spring practice all the way up to that ever? With go people going home, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's different with the COVID era. People don't go home as much for Easter break either. Like they might not have that massive. It probably yeah. tell not spring to. break is the first full week of March, it appears. Oh, okay. So that well, still gives they, you plenty of time. Yeah, they can easily start it after that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've already seen evidence of. I mean, we we got assistant coaches prior to the bowl game that we didn't that we hadn't talked to in two years that that had been here two years. Yeah. Um, so I would and there are going to be a, a whole bunch of new coaches to interview here. So I would imagine that's going to happen. I would think that I would think more. Yeah, again, the COVID year um, yeah. or the COVID rules. How you know, will they be loosened up? We were wearing masks for interviews the other day for the first time in a long time, but I do think all things being equal, if, if COVID is under control, I think that we will have an opportunity to see spring practices that in the past we normally wouldn't have. That was actually the first time ever we wore masks for interviews. That is true. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You could, um, I'm just sort of looking at the calendar. If they're back, they're back from spring break on the 13th. If you did just a four week run up, yeah, you would ha- you could have the spring game on April 9th, um, and that would be the essentially the end of the fourth week of spring practice. So that's, and then Easter would be the following weekend. Yeah, they just tend to avoid getting close to exams. We don't think of those things with our little football minds for the university. <laughs> yeah, um, co- I will, you know, my guess is, and I, this is a guess, I think we have much better access with coordinators, assistant coaches, and players, and I think our practices will not often be full. Have you noticed how August and bowl stuff went where it, here's the first 20 minutes, here's the first 30 minutes, even the first 40. It reminds me of the previous era. Yeah, that's the not... influence of that previous era. Remember the old, uh, you know, the old, uh, what was it? Yellow cones joke about, yeah. <laughs> about practice. We, you know, we'd see them running around the yellow cone, the orange cones or um, yeah. Anyway, we'll find out. And no, we don't have a, a practice schedule yet and it's only a matter of time before we hear <laughs> what are they going to announce spring practice What's the matter with these people but we want to we want to know too and we get it we understand the the uh the interest from everybody out there for the start of spring practice not not jay to for uh not jay to one for which players is this off season slash spring a now or never moment are we not including graduates well here's the thing you know yeah i mean that transfers are happening so much more rapidly now that guys like brendan clark and lawrence keys and quinn carroll and kj wallace and john olmstead has left 
previously as Javon. I mean, a lot of those type players have already exited the program. All right. This is pretty simple, actually. Rising juniors, current sophomores, and redshirt freshmen. Tosh Baker is a now or never moment. That's a good call. Because of the tackles that we can't stop talking about. And I don't don't know about him moving either. Um, I would say Zeke Carell is not now or never, but we'll have to think, do I want to be a backup for one more year? I think there's a chance that, I mean, I think there's a decent chance that Baker and Carell are are gone after that's whenever. I, that's the class range. Now, Carell might, I mean, he's probably really getting close. He's getting closer to graduation than Tosh Baker would be. So yeah. sometimes you just see, you might as well get the, that paper first. And then remember, they all have an extra year because of COVID. I mean, anybody that leaves that in that class, anyone that leaves is going to have three more years. Like Drew, right, Drew Pine can start for three years after having a Notre Dame degree. Well, yeah, right, right, right. And think about Caleb Johnson, who, uh, you know, I mean, I was pretty high on him when he signed and came in. I mean, he's further behind Baker and Carmody. So if Brayson stays and Lewis retains as part of his job is one of those four sophomore, right? Redshirt freshman corners. Yeah. Now I was told, uh, I mean, Bracey's in school as far as I know. So he he has started the semester. That doesn't guarantee, that doesn't guarantee that he'll, I'm not sure what's at issue with, with Tariq Bracey coming back or not coming back, but he is in school. I, I know a couple of people have asked us about that. And I was told, that when classes began, he was in the classroom. I would, you know, a couple guys, the, this sort of cuts against the grain away. O'Malley's viewing this, but I'd say Jordan Batello and Rocco Spindler to me, um, both those guys need to get some traction in spring practice. Yeah. Uh, one guy has, you know, Josh Lug and an old, a new offensive line coach. Um, the other guy has bounced around different positions. <sighs> Notre Dame needs help at, some spot, but if he's a Viper, then he's, I don't, I don't know where the minutes come. Uh, I don't know where the reps come if he's only a Viper. So they tried him at linebacker, but I don't know where the the reps come at linebacker either at this point. So you the linebacker, don't you? I think he, he just needs to be in a spot where he can have some success. Um, I think you gotta, you gotta get something good happening with Batello and spring ball. Good, Tim. Anybody older guys? No, probably not. This is a good one, though. CMU Penn's fan. Out of Prince Collie, Deion Colsey, Ryan Barnes, and Philip Riley, who is the most likely to have a breakout sophomore season? I would say Colsey first, Collie second. You know, you're still talking about two young cornerbacks there that are coming back uh, behind returning starters. So I would – I mean, I guess I would go Colsey, Collie, Barnes, Riley, since Barnes saw some action in the, in the festival. I go. I go. Colsey one. He's a starter. He's a yeah. Starter. Yeah. He's At a, the the other ones, I don't. I don't know. Um, I have a hard time distinguishing between those guys, other than Barnes played in the Fiesta Bowl for three snaps and Riley didn't. Yeah, and the question is breakout sophomore season. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, Colsey's probably really the only one in a position to have a quote breakout. Yeah, I, if Maris Leofau is healthy, then like. I don't think we're going to be asking a lot of questions about Prince Collie this season. True. But if he's yeah. not, Prince Collie is in position as a very good player to possibly have a breakout sophomore season. Like those, you know, you got to be a really good player to have a breakout sophomore season, not just get more snaps. Yeah. I think Collie's the second best player on that, right? First or second best player among those quartet. Yeah. I would agree. So that in terms of just getting an opportunity, it's it's easily Colsey. I mean, yeah. 
there's nobody to stop him from getting the opportunity on Deion Coles. He, did, he doesn't have to be any good to start. It's a sad thing. Um, I think he is, but he doesn't have to be. The corners, he's got a better chance if, I mean, there's three, if they have three t- returning starters at corner, there's just going to be a lot of competition for that fourth spot, which is great. I mean, that's what you want. I know people never want to see people transfer out, but you want to see people transfer out because they can't play because there's so many good players to throw them, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, I, JoJo Johnson probably could have been on that list, and I, I almost would have been as intrigued with him as I, yeah. uh, as I was Collie and Barnes and Riley. Yes, understood. Um, let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna slip another question in here from okay. uh, uh, Woosterhoff. Does Marcus Freeman expect the same level of recruiting from Harry Heastan as he does the rest of the staff, or does he let him pin pinpoint his targets and go get them without getting involved with the other positions? Uh, the, the the latter, uh, and I think that will be probably true at defensive coordinator as well. Um, you know, I, I realize what Marcus Freeman said at his press conference that like if you're not a good recruiter, like this might not be a great staff for you. Um, I don't think that applies equally to every position, and I am totally fine with that because that's that makes sense. You play to the strengths of your various coaches, and some are stronger coaches, and some are stronger recruiters, and so you lean on more in one, lean on the other in the other spot. Nor should it apply to every position the exact same way. It was a great thing to say. It was a wonderful National Signing Day thing to say, especially it wins the day and it is so impossible to think i'm but it's i mean it is 100 true at defensive line cornerback wide receiver running back like essentially every position other than offensive line and defensive coordinator that's but that i mean you have to make exceptions for that for great veteran coaches that are 10 times better coaches than the people not better than elston but you're a much better coach you're replacing he's not as good of a recruiter it's fine it is fine it is okay you gotta be better than you were. I mean, those last that last cycle for he stayed. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think that I think more that there has to be has to be a, a little bit more sense of urgency created with him. But yeah, oh yeah. But I want to point know. out though, like, okay, all the guys coming in now, we don't know if they're good. Like when Harry Heastan got Quinn Carroll and Zeke Carell, and they were number 95 and whatever Quinn Carroll was, 114. No one's like, boy, Harry Heastan's really lacking on the recruiting trail. They thought they had two great starters for three years. We don't know Tanona and Shrouth are great. Nope. We don't know it. Nobody knows it. Just like nobody thought Quinn Carroll would be gone after three years without ever starting a game when they brought him in on signing day. There's a no percent chance anyone other than Chip Long thought there was no way <laughs> Quinn Carroll <laughs> would not start at Notre Dame. Yeah. I'm talking about fans and the mess to anybody. Number 14, four star. He's going to play at Notre Dame. I, I'm sorry. I think Billy Shrouth is going to be great. I know. Okay. Not a, no, do I think it? I know it. Yeah, you know it, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's like you don't. And sure, he's having foot surgery, but still, we're, yes, we're pretty yeah, sure it's going to yeah. be great. Yeah, but I picked him second in the class. Okay. So, no, no, I, I, I mean, you I, you're, no, you guys Kramer are right. Take five years to be great, to be a really good player. Say it again. I think Tommy Kramer is going to take five years to be a really good player. No. Yeah. No, we didn't expect that. He was country. Like he was, a, he was a five star at least at some point yeah. in the recruiting process. No, point taken. Uh, but. Harry Heastan develops, generally speaking, whoever he gets, or at least he, he develops enough quality players for a, a starting lineup, regardless who he gets. So yeah, you can't develop can't, fourteen linemen yeah, well. You can't. Work yeah, out. It, it's it's still coaching, it's still coaching prowess first, and recruiting one A or second. You mean offensive line? Second, it's second. 
on the offensive line. On the offensive line, line, second, yes. I don't think that's the way it is a running back, as we discussed last week. No, and like that's not true at every school either. I'm just saying it's true at Notre Dame, where like that it is pushing the logic of the position recruits itself at Notre Dame because it is almost true um, that this school is predisposed to have great offensive linemen considering it and looking at it. And that's going to even be more true now with Easton back here. All right. I got a dual question here, a basketball question from Ryan M five with the ACC being so much weaker this season, where does Notre Dame men's basketball team have to place in the ACC to put themselves in the NCAA tournament? And then a question from TCC Irish Notre Dame is currently 12 and six. Overall, five and two in the ACC. What are you thinking it will take for them to make the tournament? Maybe fifteen and five or fourteen and six in league play. The metrics don't seem to be on their side. They are currently uh, tied for third with Duke, Florida State six and two, Miami six and two, Duke and Notre Dame are five and two. Does it feel like a if you make the semis in the ACC tournament, kind of like? I mean, they'll be like a bubble team if they continue to play well. And then if they made the semis, that would be the like, okay, you're in. If you lose in the quarters, uh, you're going to sweat it out on Sunday. I guess, I mean, you're not going to sweat if you're 15 and five. That's, that's, that's not even, that's not probably not. I don't, you're not going to, that's not our consideration for... ever. The ACC has more pull than that, even when they're down for two. Yeah. Years. Look, yeah. The two teams that are six and two would, it, to, to finish 15 and five, they'd, they would have to go nine and three. And I'm not sure that Florida State, Miami are nine and three good enough at the, yeah. to, you know, the Notre Dame has 13. First of all, there are 13 ACC games remaining. Notre Dame has played seven. So there's a long, long, long way to go here. But 15 and five, you're That's getting in. 14 and six, three. you're getting in. Yeah, 13, 13 and seven. And seven. Is my to look at where Pete says winning a game in the ACC tournament, 13 and seven. Yeah, I, I just, I, I guess. I sort of skipped over the idea of them going 15 and five in the league. Yeah, as, yeah you should. As, so there are, as too, you there are too many teams that are like the same. There, there's Duke, and then there's a lot of yeah. teams that are the same. For just just for clarity's sake here, there in the top five is Florida State, Miami, Duke, Notre Dame, and Wake Forest. Notre Dame has not played Florida State, Miami, Duke, or Wake Forest yet. They've beaten. They beat four and three North Carolina. They beat five and four Louisville. They lost to three and four BC. They beat three and five Clemson. They lost to two and five Virginia tech. And they have victories over two and six Pittsburgh and one and six Georgia tech. So they still have some heavy lifting to do here. A big opportunity this Wednesday night against North Carolina state at home, Notre Dame, NC state struggling. Notre Dame should win that game and move to six and two. And here's the issue for Notre Dame. Now, when they lost to St. Mary's, and it was the number one game they should have won their shooting that they lost. St. Mary's is now the 22nd ranked team in the country for Ken Palm. All that matters is Ken Palm. Nobody cares about the AP. There's AP teams don't make the tournament. There have been top 25 teams not to make the tournament. So a win over number 20, they wouldn't be 22. I guess they'd be like 26 had they lost that game. A win over that St. Mary's team on top of a win over number eight, Kentucky, on top of a win over number 35, North Carolina, and if you can get number 33, Wake Forest, those are, those are big. I mean, yeah. and you got, I mean, if you get number 10 Duke and you are now Notre Dame is 13 and seven, you beat Duke, North Carolina and Kentucky 13 and seven in the league, say fifth in the league. You're good. I guarantee you, you get in the tournament at 13 yeah. and seven, fifth in the league. 
Well, and you beat Louisville and, and Louisville. Oh, yeah. Not I mean, good. yeah, them too. I mean, they're, they're not a very good basketball team right now. The ACC. No, it is. Bad. That's, there is so like, much, there's so much bad basketball being played in the ACC. It is unbelievable to me that that conference has, has dipped to that it was, level, but it's I been to, there for a few years. Chris, they had an incredible performance on Saturday or Saturday, Sunday. I don't remember where they played Louisville. Like, Saturday, yeah. No, they played. The fact that they no, were they down did. and came back was like, I, I don't think we look at Notre Dame football. Nor in football, nor in basketball, and they like, wow, mentally tough. Like, but that took some mental toughness to oh, get it out. Definitely of there. did. Yeah. It definitely did. There's no doubt about. I was that. impressed. They they, uh, they played good basketball. They shot the hell out of it. That's a that's a huge thing. They shot sixty some percent from three, you know, which a lot has of- been a. I mean, that's they're doing that consistently now, not sixty five percent, but they've shot overall. They've shot really well the last seven or eight games. Six I gotta or seven say. Opposing coaches and scouts, and by scouts I don't mean like NBA scouts, but I mean you you hear from people that cover other teams, analysts really like the way Notre Dame plays basketball right now. Like how hard they can be to guard. Now, if they watch the Louisville game, that's because they saw seven guys playing well together, and Bray has made a good point. Usually it's three guys playing well together, and then three other guys play well together, and then maybe two or four. That's why they yeah. lose some games. I don't think handling the basketball is going to be as big of a problem as it was against Howard and Texas A&M. I do think stopping anybody that is strong and good inside is going to be a problem. There's no doubt about that. They'll, they'll, there's no doubt about that defensively. And they've come a long way defensively, but their interior. Well, who do they have? They don't. They just don't have enough big, strong bodies. He, he doesn't go deeper into, you know, Zona would be a guy that could come in and pound a little bit, but he's, he's not going to play him. So We got we got to quit asking about if that's going to happen or not. No, I'm not. No, we're not. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, Tim, someone told us inside the program the first time they saw Paul Atkinson, you guys are going to be surprised how small he actually is. Yeah, there, and there are times. And he's done a, you know, I mean, he's done a hell of a job, but there oh, are times yeah. where he needs a big guy with him. He just needs a big Yeah, where he gets small. Okay, we're going to wrap, but we're going to jump back to football. I'm going to put two questions together again. And one is uh, from Irish Austin P. It, it took Georgia 40 years to win a national title. Does Notre Dame win a national title by 2028? And then from Joe Irish 13, what will happen first? Notre Dame wins a title or I hit the lottery? Man, <laughs> Notre Dame wins a title. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame will win a national title before Joe wins the lottery. Yeah. Um, but the 40 year 2028. How about 2028? How, uh, how long is Nick Saban still at Alabama? <laughs> he would be uh, in his late 70s at that point. Well, that's, I mean, that's the ultimate roadblock um, for Notre Dame right now, as it is for everybody essentially but Georgia. Yeah. So that's. I'd say I mean, no. Look, look it, it, we, I, none of us can answer that question, but the program that Marcus Freeman inherited is on extremely solid ground. He's going to recruit the hell out of it. Uh, they're going to be good again this year. They got a ton of talent back. They're going to be good moving forward at the very least and very good to great moving forward 20, with a yeah. high probability. So 23 and 24 are your lot are your reasonable targets because you have Blake Fisher and Alt in their third years at Buckner in his second. You ha- yeah, you should have Spindler in there. You should have a fifth year Christophic. You will have lost Foskey and if you have a defensive line, who yeah, you've lost a defensive line, but you'll have really good linebackers. Your defensive line will be made up of fifth year guys that don't have the Foskey and Adamiola ability though. Like you're gonna have cross, you're gonna have Lacey. Yeah. Riley Mills will be coming to his own. 
it really comes down to the receivers and running backs around and Buckner. Like they're, they're going to have, they're going to have a, the offensive line to win it and they should have the better defense, like a little faster defense than the one we saw that had to go play. They'll need, the they'll need like a go by to, to, you know, yeah. in his sophomore, junior year exactly. to be as good as we think that he possibly can be some other what guys. Happens? I mean, Potsky was that in yeah, his. Yeah, I don't, you know, we can't, we can't answer that question, but they're, they're better positioned than they have been in quite some time uh, based upon what has happened in the last few years. Marcus Freeman being hired, you know, his ability to recruit. They got a shot, but winning national titles is, have you heard this? Winning is hard. Yeah. yeah. It's like, let's start with like winning a playoff game by 2028. Yeah, yes. that would be a good. That'd yeah. Be, that'd be, let's start with, let's start with win that. a playoff game by 2028. I say yes. Yes. They'll win a play, I think they win a playoff game. Uh, in this freshman class, the one that just had to go through the season and play a lot. I think they'll win a playoff game in, in the Blake Fisher, Joe Alt era. Yeah. And you need a, you know, you need a break. You need a, either a Alabama, not making the playoffs <laughs> or okay. getting upset what else? In the first, or, <laughs> or, or, B, or B get, or Alabama getting upset in the first round of the playoffs. Hey, karma came back. Alabama should have lost to Auburn while we were Ugh. all sitting there at Stanford. It absolutely should have happened. Thankfully they didn't somehow win the national title. Yeah. That's a you really need some f- very funky regular season results. Yeah, you need a, you need a playoff field that includes like Kansas State and Baylor. Yeah, you know, not gonna, that Kansas State opportunity was the old rules back in 2012. Uh, you're not gonna. Uh, that, that's a so that's such a shame. Um, somebody asked me last night watching the Bills Chiefs, who'd you like to see if the 49ers win? Who do you want to see them play? Like going back to the old Kansas State days, I'd like to see them play the Jets. In the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be one of these quarterbacks anywhere near my television set. Yeah, that's, right, that's, that's the Alabama-Georgia problem. That's it for today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back next Monday, uh, the 31st. Nor name. Are we both going to the Duke game on the 31st, Tim? I think, yeah, I think so. I think we need to try to do that. It's going to be crowded up there, but I think we need to try to do that. I know I want to go to that one, uh, and I'm sure you do as well. We appreciate you joining us here today again for Irish Illustrated Insider. Next Monday, I'm sure we will have some more coaching news. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, thank you for joining us.